Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to a beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Spring Developer Advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. Hi, Spring fans. I'm in Seattle, Washington. Uh, I just did a presentation this morning for a large tech consultancy in the Netherlands from the comfort of my Seattle hotel room. Uh, I've been here for the Spring One tour, and apropos of nothing, the next stop in the Spring One tour uh, will be in Amsterdam. Uh, and uh, that that'll be, that event will be later this year, October 11th to 12th. Uh, I hope you'll join us there. I've really enjoyed traveling a little bit this year, not nearly uh, to the extent of previous years, of course, but uh, enough to feel connected to old and new friends again. Uh, this trip to Seattle in particular has been heartwarming. I was received by friends old and new, as I always seem to be. It's been such a, light, a delight to, to hang out with my, my friends like Microsoft's Teresa Nguyen and Asir Selvasing, who took me and my family, my kid and her grandma, uh, my partner, uh, Tammy's back at home in San Francisco working, out to lovely dinners and experiences in Seattle and beyond that we'll never forget. It was a delight to see my old pal, Will Zhang, who's now over at, uh, at the bookstore, you know, here. Uh, we met online during the pandemic when he was doing uh, backstage management for DevRelCon. Uh, and it was really cool to see him and, uh, and Asir and uh, Teresa and, and so many others uh, here. And it's also really great to reunite with colleagues from VMware in this amazing city of Seattle. We we took in the city and really learned a lot from it. I also spent a goodly amount of time with my buddy and teammate, Deshaun, who also brought his two kiddos. My kid and his kids got along great. We turned to Seattle, the Space Needle, the Aquarium, Miner's Landing, and so much more uh, together as a group. Uh, and of course, I loved hanging out with some local Seattle teammates uh, and friends like Tiffany Jernigan and Jonathan Ivanov. Uh, broadly, it's been a ton of fun, and I'm just sad to have to go, but go I must, uh, and soon. Today's guest uh, is my teammate and my friend. Uh, by the way, have you noticed I've been saying that a lot, this uh, this intro? seems like I've got a lot of team friends, friend mates. I don't know. I don't know what the, uh, the word for that is. There's probably a German word that expresses that exactly. Um, uh, Nate Schuda. Nate's my idea of a great mind paired with a great soul. He's the only uh, person I know uh, who can make slides with just a few words read in rapid succession and make it work. He'll bench press about hundreds of slides in less than an hour. Uh, and you don't, you know, he doesn't even look at them. He's not even staring at that, right? They're, they're really, I think, uh, if I don't know if he'd say this or not, but I think they're just for the audience, right? He knows what he's talking about. He, he can sit up there and speak extemporaneously for, for hours and hours without ever uh, so much as checking a slide. That's how you know what he's doing, right? That's in, that's how you know he knows what he's doing. Um, they're just there so you have something to look at while he uh, regales us with a fascinating story about this, that, or the other thing. I love Nate. We have known, known each other for a long time, even before he joined the team. And so I was so happy to hear that he'd agree to be on the show with me. Whenever we used to bump into each other before the pandemic, uh, he'd tweet out a harbinger of doom photo with us doing a selfie and uh you can imagine my delight when we finally were able to resume that tradition uh this year as we started to do resume in-person travel i love it and i live for it uh so without further ado my friend the thinking person's architect the one the only nate shooter You're live. You're being recorded. Uh -oh. this is, yeah. So I need to mind my P's and Q's. Yeah, I could. I wouldn't mind some split pea soup or something. Uh, I don't even know what that means. I mean, well, I know what it means, but I'd love to know where that came from. Mind your P's and Q's. Yeah, or dot your I's. You know, cross your T's and dot your I's. Like, yeah. How how anal retentive? 
is it that you actually have an admonishment about? I mean, I suppose there must. Oh, do you remember cursive? Can you still write cursive? Uh, sort of. I mean, I, I have this, I think like many of us, this weird sort of uh, printy cursive thing. Yeah, this doodly kind of chicken scratchy yeah but, but it's very clear that that like my son did not learn cursive not certainly in no. the way you and i did where you know you spent hours yeah. doing yeah. e's and f's and like everybody thought that was really important like why i don't know and 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 actually because it's so hard for me to remember it's even on the rare i, I couldn't lay hands on a pen if i tried right now but on the rare right. occasion that i do need to reach for a piece of paper and a pen i find it much faster just to do draftsman all caps yeah. You know, I, I, my, my writing is atrocious. It's a uh, worst of both worlds. I'm not a doctor and I still have doctors writing, you know. When did you realize that you could type faster than you could write? Do you remember that? Uh, when I, so my mom, my mom, uh, she is, <laughs> I've, I, mean, I don't know if I've told, I'm, I'm sure I've talked to, I've talked to people about this. I don't know if I've ever talked on the podcast. My mom in the sixties learned to do uh, stenography, right? Yeah. And she did shorthand. Do you remember shorthand? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's a lost art, right? You can, they can do hundreds and hundreds of words a minute, right? As doing shorthand stenography, right? Like, um, to the point where you'd be very hard pressed to speak faster than they can take down dictation. So she right. could do, and even when she's typing full on prose, forget about shorthand. But even so, by the time when I knew her as a as a as a boy, as a little boy, I would see her on the lap. She'd be sat on the floor legs crossed there'd be uh you know uh, carson on tv or something and she'd have one of these big goofy um i then called an ibm thinkpad right uh and uh, uh they, they were like a brick you know like i don't know a little tiny portal for they a screen were portable and, and they yeah. weighed like 52 pounds yeah exactly they were not but i mean they were interesting because she could sit on the coffee table which you couldn't do with computers sure just a few years before but but anyway so she was on the computer and i just remember like she was typing, you know, at, at professional typist speeds while talking to me. Right. While, while looking at me and fully answering my questions. Right. I right. just remember thinking, God, that's how is that possible? Here? What is yeah. going on? Yeah. And I didn't really appreciate how cool that was until I got older. Right. Uh, and I realized, and I took a typing class. I learned on a typewriter, you know, Oh yeah. for her, but she got even faster when she made the move to computers because the keys are so much softer, right? right. With a, with a typewriter. Oh, and the other thing is they have autocorrect, right? But she learned on a typewriter. So she could do, you know, 99.9, whatever percent or hundred percent, uh, you know, dictation accuracy on accuracy on a typewriter, you know? And so then they gave her an ability to easily undo everything and to have a softer impact. And she's like, Oh yeah. Okay. The weights are off. You know, I'm going to like superwoman. Yeah. You know, she went even faster. I was like, that's insane. And so I, I, when I realized that she could do that, then I realized it was possible to do that. Right. Um, and then I started to type and I realized, wow, I'm, I'm nowhere near. I, right. I, Cause I thought, well, if it's easy, then, you know, maybe I, I don't know. I, I started to type, I took a typing class on a typewriter. Right. Um, you know, and the, you, you learn the home row and all that, you know, all these oh, like yeah. things. And uh, uh, I, I was terrible. I, I had to, I was a hunting pecker, you know, um, and then I and then I would go home and I'd see my mom and she was just like, you know, handling all the house business and helping us with our homework and still doing her work Making and a cake at the same yeah, time as she's cranking on the away. phone, you know, like right. okay, yeah, that's fine, honey, good, you know, just all this stuff. I'm like, it's not easy. It's not even not yeah. it's not just not easy. It's incredibly hard to type that proficiently. Um, 
And now I'm a pretty fast typist. I'm certainly faster than I'm up in the professional levels of uh, of typing words per minute. Yeah. I bet she can still run oh, rings yeah. around, run circles oh. around. Yeah. yeah, and and do it with better accuracy. You know, um, right. yeah, it's crazy. And she she's older now, and she doesn't. She's never really gotten into that whole ergonomics thing. You know, uh, because I don't know. I, I don't know how she did that. Actually, that's a good point. Like she just kind of muscled through it. She's like, what ergonomics? There's work to be done. Nobody, nobody got time for that, you know? Like, so, yeah. So I don't know. When my mom is the reason I know that. And, and I can now type faster uh, than I could write. And I can certainly, I can type as fast as I speak almost, yeah. you know, most of the time. Oh, what about you? Yes, yeah. I distinctly remember that. I, I was, I think I was in college and I, I was typing up a paper or something and I realized that I wasn't looking at my hands anymore. Yes. And I was just looking at the screen and the words were just going from brain to screen somehow. And, and I went, oh, well, okay, I, I guess that's how this works. And, and <laughs> you know, clearly that's just reps, right? I mean, if you spend enough time banging on the keys, eventually you just know where they are. And, you know, I, I remember, I, I don't remember how many years ago this was, but I, I was on the phone with my wife and I was typing and she could hear my keyboard. She's like, are you, are you typing oh. actual words? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, yeah, that's how, how? And I'm like, well, well, cause I am, you know, I yeah. mean, it just, it, 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 I don't know. It just, I'm typing, you know, and I mean, so not she's a, yeah, she's not a slow typist, but I mean, it, no. it, it's just, it's funny how, how you just kind of eventually get to that point. And, and I don't know about you, but I can't spell anymore. I've completely oh. lost the ability to spell. I just sort of like mash keys and then, Hoping you know, the computer will figure please, it out. please, you know, especially with words that have really weird spellings that you don't have at the top of your brain. <laughs> and like I was, I was um, aesthetic. I was trying to spell aesthetic earlier today. Oh, that's a tough one. And I'm like, okay, what is it? And, and, and it's so, it's so dispiriting when you type, you put in what you think yeah. it is. And then it's like, I have no idea what you're trying no, to do. I, I, I literally have every word in the entire yeah. English language at my disposal. I got nothing. I got nothing. I, I couldn't even get it to give me a hint. That's how right. far off I am. You know, it's yes. like, oh. when, yeah. you, when Creepy shows up just to make fun of you. Yes. How yes. bad is your day, you know? It's, it's, it's like the answer. Like you're an idiot. <laughs> Right, right, right. It's some kind of anti-wordle where you're like, oh, I gave it letters. It can't even decipher. Oh. <laughs> Somehow it got an accent in there. Wait, what? How did, exactly. huh? <laughs> well, there aren't any accents in English. What did I do? How did I even make that happen? Is that, oh, that's a long press. Ah, got it. Okay. Okay. Uh, Learned something new today. <laughs> yeah. Not much, but that. Uh, so we know you can type, uh, but who are you? Oh, who am I? Well, well, hi, Josh. My name is Nate. It's a pleasure yeah. to meet you. And Likewise. Yeah, it's 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 good. It's good to be in your presence again, my friend. It's it's been it's been Likewise. like what three weeks, I think, since you and I were in the same meet space. This is kind of strange. After not being around each other, then we were around each other. Uh, what was that? Oh, Toronto. 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 Yeah. That was three weeks. Yeah, I guess it was. I think it was. Ooh. I think. And then I don't before know, that I was wrong. London, which was nice. Yes, we got uh, to spend some quality time together in London, and quality we're going to spend some quality time together in New York. So you know, this this all New York out. is coming up for the. It'll probably be passed by the time this episode airs. I would think so. It, but uh, that's next week. That's June twenty seven, whatever. Twenty ninth. Twenty eighth. Yeah, twenty ninth, twenty eighth, whatever. It's one of those days that's in the future, but not right now. My my phone will tell me it's time to leave for the airport, and then I'll leave for the airport. But uh, anyway. yeah, I got one of those. So, 
Yes. So uh, my name is Nate Shuda. The the way I always like to introduce myself is I'm an architect as a service. Yeah. Because I think that's a pretty good distillation of what I do. You know, I'm an architect. I go places. I talk to people about architecture and software and whatever. Although I always like to point out that the first time someone called me that I did sound the acronym out in my head and I realized they may not have intended it as a compliment. (laughs) You know, so I always take with a little bit of a grain of salt, but I like it. So that's that's pretty much pretty much what I roll with. But uh, Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. Well, that's, I mean, so in your own words, uh, I love this. Are you the one who always say, I don't know if it's you or uh, Kote, but what is it you'd say you do around here? Like, well, so I, I, that's a great question. You know, I, I think what I love about our job, Josh, is that we yep. get to learn new things and play with new things and then go uh-huh. teach other people cool new things. And, and I love to I teach. Try. Yeah, I mean, we try. But, but I mean, at my core, that's, that's what I like to think of myself as, is a teacher. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I, I used to argue, you know, that architects in a lot of organizations are sort of like the professors of their organization. They're there to kind of spread that institutional knowledge and, and try to put up some of these ideals of what we're, we're attempting to do. And, and, you know, here's some best practices. Now, I know sometimes that can actually be a little astronauty, and that's when it's done poorly. But right. there is a lot of teaching and guiding that goes into that. You know, I, I think back to my previous organization and a huge chunk of what my group was trying to do was teach our developers how to write good software and, and especially what that means in a cloud environment. You know, so, so my group, when we were migrating to the cloud, we spent a ton of time building white papers and decision trees and just giving our teams as much information as possible so that they could be successful when they didn't have two or three architects assigned to them full time, like some of our initial pilot projects had. Right. You know, once you open up the floodgates, you have to make sure that teams are in a position to succeed. You know, and, and so you can think of that, I guess, in some ways, maybe as parenting, although I don't know that that's quite the right analogy, but we're trying to give them the, the tools to be successful when you can't be in the room with every single decision. You know, you, you need to empower teams to make good decisions. In order to do that, you got to give them good information yeah. and make sure that they have the access to that, whether that's things that we created versus things like bringing in outside people to come do guest lectures, so to speak. You know, we'd call those like, you know, bag lunch kind of things, lunch and learns. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's like a guest lecturer, you know? So that's the analogy I use is that we're, our job fundamentally is to teach people how to do this. I, I would you describe yourself as a, as a, a road builder, an on-ramp builder? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's another analogy we use is trying to like build that runway just in front of the team. So yeah. that they had what they needed when they needed it. Now, of course, the challenge there is not getting speculative and not getting yeah. too far ahead of the team so that you're like just kind of an iteration or two ahead of what they need so that when they do need to change direction, you're not like, oh, but but I already built a road yeah. this way and now you're telling me you want to go that way. Well, shoot, that's not going to work. Right. You know, it's really hard to still, refactor this road. And it's still them doing the push, right? They're still pushing that thing down the road. Right. But somebody's got to build that road. Somebody's got to have a direction, you know? Um, and that's a cooperative thing, I, I think. But at some point, the anticipatory nature of an architect is such that they're going to be necessarily a little bit ahead uh, of any given team, at least at least if done right. But again, not too far, because you don't want to lead people in the wrong direction, ignorant of or oblivious to market forces and, uh, you know, technological landscape concerns. Right what all and you are actually uh come uh, come to tell a, a teacher too aren't you you're uh, oh, yeah. uh yeah what tell us about that 
Yeah, so I, in, in addition to my day job, I'm an adjunct at the University of Minnesota in our MSSE program. So I teach graduate students uh, architecture. I picked up that class two years ago, I guess it was, uh, which I have been angling for for quite a while because that's sort of my wheelhouse and I really yeah. enjoy talking about architecture. So getting a chance to, to do that with my professional grad students. Uh, those grad students are all full-time working adults. So it's not a typical you know, sort of graduate experience of I'm just trying to avoid the real world. These are our, all people who are all in the real world. And well, so it's, it's, actually, it's great. Well, it's great because it makes for a really interactive kind of thing because, it, you know, I learn, frankly, as much from my students probably as they learn from me because, you know, I, I we talk about the things they're running into day to day and the problems they're having. And it's like, OK, cool. Right. You know, this is this is fun. I like I being, you know, that way. Yeah, I want two way traffic. I also teach a class that well, now it's it's focused on the cloud. That's in the spring, and that's that's basically around. So, what does this mean to do cloud computing, and and how has that changed software and, and what we do? And and a lot of what I bake into that one is really around how do we address technical change? You know, yeah. I, I've realized a long time ago that the one constant in our industry is things are going to be different in two to five years, and we may have a sense of the trend line of where things are going, but none of us is capable of predicting that in five years, oh, this is what everyone's going to be doing. And, and so you have to be able to evaluate any of these new things that, that come along. Like, you know, before we started, I, you know, Rust came up. Is Rust a language that we should adopt in our company? Does Rust give us leverage or not? And how do we balance? Maybe it does give us some things that our current languages don't, but well, now we got to train people up. We got to bring in new libraries. We got to bring in new tools. You know, how do we balance that against the advantages that this language may give us? Yeah. And then how do we bring that in in a way that doesn't land us in the Galapagos Island problem where, well, influential developer came in and wrote this thing in a language and technology no one knows. And then they left. And now we have to maintain this thing with a bunch of people who have no idea what that person did or how they did it or what these technologies are. And okay, well, rock, paper, scissors. Sorry, Josh, it's your turn to go in there and try to fix this problem. And, you know, don't worry, I'll get the next one. You know, so you have to have more foresight than just, well, it looks like fun and it looks cool and it looks interesting. And I saw it on Twitter. So, of course, we need to adopt it. And the Galapagos, when you talk about the Galapagos, you're talking about the idea that you're creating an ecosystem that is unto itself uh, right. and that then becomes harder to penetrate. The more you add to it, exactly. the more it strays from the, the, the main, whatever, moving zeitgeist, uh, you know, uh, of technology. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a big problem. I mean, it, it, and it's a problem that all successful languages by definition have had to overcome, right? Uh, right. They have to become more than the niche they started out in, you know, and um, mm -hmm. I would like Rust. You know, it's a nice language. I would love it to make that jump one day. Uh, who knows? Uh, yeah. So, okay, what do you think when you talk about the cloud? Is there what is it? How long have you been doing that class? Uh, three or four years, I think. I, I can't remember exactly oh. when when I came back on the scene. You know, and I so guess who, I've been playing in that space for quite a bit longer than that. Obviously, sure. So I think I've been five plus years here with Pivotal VMware, and then before that, my role was cloud architect guy. Yeah. yeah. So that was bringing cloud into an enterprise organization, and all of the joy that that encompasses. I mean, and I've so, seen I've, I saw your talks on cloud, no fluff. I think you know a decade ago. So I know I'm not talking about that. I'm just wondering, like. What was the 
if you had to like, because it's it's now a concentrated, focused thing on which you that that, that demands you 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 note your thoughts and then right record them. What have you is has there been any sort of anything important that you've noticed since 2014? Let's say uh, in the cloud space, anything. Well, I, I mean, I, I think the fact that it it has made that leap from, you know, I'm I'm old enough to remember when enterprise organizations would say, well, there's no way we can go in the public cloud. I mean, that's yeah. just that that'd be dangerous. You know, we can't have our data in any of the providers. We must have our own data center. In fact, we're building another data center because we know how to right. do it better than anybody else. Yeah, and, sure. and that that bit has flipped. You know that now. I mean, I off the top of my head, I can't think of too many companies that that aren't in the public cloud in some way, shape, or form. You know, it, it it's not a hundred percent of their workloads, and they may still keep some stuff on prem, but everybody realizes there there are things to gain there, and, and so it's it's been really interesting to sort of see people get over that hunk of fud, you know, that fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and and get past the well, that's how we've always done it mindset. You know, I mean, sure, we, we also used to do a lot of stuff by hand. We, we've automated that, thank goodness, you know, right. there's all sorts of other things that have changed for the better in software. You know, I, I think you and I both remember the era of, well, let's see, I, I right click in my IDE and, and then I take that artifact and I drag it over to this magic file location and then some cron job picks it up and then, you know, somehow it gets put into, you know, our dev region. Sometimes it works, but mostly it doesn't, you know, and, and unrepeatable, all, all works on, you know, it's a Rube Goldberg machine of, well, you know, Josh's name is hard coded in here. So that's why it works. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it wasn't great, Dan. <laughs> no, exactly. Things have definitely gotten better. I mean, but I think that's part of it is, is realizing that we, we can take advantage of that. I, I think the other big shift is sort of this democratization of technology. You know, yeah. for so much of my career, anytime you wanted something, database, app server, web server, whatever, you had to go and fill out tickets and you had to go to meetings and you had to beg and plead. And it would take years in some cases to get what you needed, you know, and I got being a little hyperbolic. Maybe it was more like months, but it but, felt but like I, years. But I know some orgs that would requisition something in the beginning of the year. And I, maybe by because they they'd requis- they knew that they would need for Christmas scale season, you know, season you know, for the burst in sales around that, that's typical of, well, actually, if you think about it, even, even in China, you got 11-11, it's the last several months of the year, right? Right. And so there's a commiserate, like, rise in uh, infrastructure demand, and they requisitioned stuff for that in January, you know, like, in, right. when they had the new budget, you know? Uh, so, yeah, you're not, it's not exaggerating to say, to suggest it could take almost a year in some cases. Yeah, this took a long time, I remember. And you had well, to think, you're out. And if you're you wrong, did, I remember talking to one of my infrastructure guys about that one day, and he said that they tried to always have extra capacity so they could yeah. smoothly ramp things up where necessary. Right. But that ran smack dab into the accountants who were looking at going, well, wait a minute, you're procuring more blades and more racks because right. you might need it? No, no, uh-huh. no, no, uh-uh. That, nope, nope, we're, we're dropping that out of the budget. And so yeah. then they're like, that's the reason we can't be as responsive. Now, that's the other big shift. You know, we we've realized that these things can't take months. No, that the business opportunity, the things that our customers need, require us to turn these things around in days, weeks, maybe. Yeah. And and the cloud providers have proven that. Well, with a credit card, oh look, clickety clickety click, boom, I've got stuff set up right now, and we're ready yeah. to roll right now. Not not in two weeks, 
You know, it doesn't require me to fill out a bunch of tickets. It doesn't require me to go to a bunch of meetings. It doesn't require me to justify myself. And boom, I've got stuff ready to roll. You know, I mean, if, if you think back to the beginning of our careers, if you and I had a brilliant idea for a startup, well, the first thing we'd have to do is go raise millions of dollars so that we could buy a bunch of this proprietary hardware so we could run it. Right. And then, and that's before we even knew if it was a successful idea or not. Yeah. Today, Just you and I have the same idea. We, you and I could have this thing stood up you know, by, uh, by five o'clock your time. And we could yeah, use our credit cards. Five hours from now. Right. And we'd be, we'd be up and rolling and we could see, is this, is this a thing or not? And we'd, yeah. we'd be out a few hundred dollars, maybe. It, it's That's an experiment. And it's a experiment. The only thing you lose is your time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, these days, actually, if you think about it, GitHub Actions, your continuous integration environment is free. Uh, it's cheap as heck to get a production environment in Kubernetes. Uh, you know, almost anywhere you can use Tanzu, you can use all the different cloud infrastructure providers They have their own flavor of that. Uh, it, the days of like hunting for like a cheap uh, servlet container host or a PHP host or whatever, you know, what, who cares? I, I'll just run my own things. And I, I, have as, I have as much control as I used to without any of the concessions. You ever use, um, I, I worked in 2007, I worked on um, a system where, we had to scale out infrastructure to accommodate not quite exponential, but massively growing uh, data, uh, uh, you know, hard disk data, right? This oh. is for people would send in their like VHS tapes of their, or their old film reel when they were married in the seventies or whatever, all this old media and they'd send in this media. And uh, you know, we had to, we built a in-house uh, uh, SAN, you know, mm. um, and it was, we had a whole grid. We remember grids before the cloud. Yeah. Uh, so we had a, a whole in-house grid and, uh, you know, there wasn't really a lot of great software that did grid for you. You just kind of, it was just a bunch of computers that talked to each other, you know? And, um, so we built out a whole system, uh, of our own to do that. And, uh, I just remember thinking, you know, uh, one of the slowest parts was just, I need a new machine all this great software we got all this right. all this great nas capacity is all immaterial if there's no workloads running at the moment if there's not enough yeah. if, if we're not running the workloads that generate the data that take up the storage uh, then who cares you know like all of it is immaterial so we just need more machines and of course you couldn't just this is racked and stacked physical machines you know right. um and uh, and of course it was a physical nas you know, and so we had a, a robot, actually. They sold us this insane robot that would come and take out the tape, you know. Yes. You could, or you could, we had cold storage for some of this stuff because it would get moved off to, you know, right. and then somebody would come along and say, oh, I want to I want to order these, these, and these. Okay, great. Well, we'd have the online proxies of these videos live. Those would always be hot. But if you wanted to order like a DVD of your transcoded did assets, we'd need to go to cold storage, get those assets, load them into, you know, hot storage and then right. on a disc for you on a, on a machine or something like that. Right. So all of that happened automatically, but it was just this insane thing. And, the, and, and the slowest part of it was, again, you had to get these new machines that was manual, right. you know, and right. there was no machine. There's no machine machine. There's no, no, no machine factory. Somebody had to like use clonezilla, uh, which is like, remember uh, ghost, I think it was called uh, yes. the, um, the, to, to, to clone a machine. Right. It was clonezilla. Right. right. You could use it to stamp out, firmware and operating systems and, and, and it would boot up with a base like stem cell uh operating system and then you could log into it with telnet whatever and do whatever you know or, or ssh or whatever and do whatever you needed to right but it was just getting those machines like that now i just think of that 
we had this guy named Scott and this guy was like the nicest human being I've ever met. I think it's because he snapped at some point. <laughs> His, he was always in the, in the back room with a, you know, pouring sweat. Right. Despite the fact that there's like a thousand air conditioners spinning all day long. And he was just spinning machines up like, like pizza pies, you know? Um, oh man. I, I think that character was on Silicon Valley, wasn't he? I don't know. He should have been. Tail, I think. Oh, he didn't. He was no. This guy was the nicest. He was. He was truly one of the nicest human beings I've ever had the privilege of uh, of knowing. And uh, the fact that he did it under all that stress and duress. Oh man, that is legendary. Yeah, he was great. But uh, but, but the point is that process wasn't great. You know, and that was the best it was. He was super smart. That right. like he knew what his choices were. Conezilla and that machine, that that factory conveyor belt, whatever for stamping out new servers you know because we had hundreds of them you know on premise of our own you know all right. dedicated to one they all look the same they're all the same kind of software just scaled out you know hundreds of nodes 15 years ago 20 years ago man that's not I, usual I, I think some in so many ways josh it's like the cobbler's children's problem right i mean you think about how much software we write as as, as engineers right and then why don't we write more for ourselves you know i, I think it, it's it takes most of us a long time to kind of finally get it in our head. And, and even once we do, we don't always follow it that I should automate this. I mean, how many times have you been doing something? You're like, I should really spend some time writing a script that automates this. And I do like, ah, well, I don't have time right now. I got to get this done and, and I'll, I'll do that later. And then later never comes. And then, you know, we, we, we forget sometimes that, that we can write software to make some of these problems go away and make that the world taking, better. Yeah, I mean, taking a couple hours to write that simple little script could save you days over the number of times you run it, but you just have to be willing to get over that that hump of when is this going to be useful to me and, and how do I justify to myself that I'm going to take time to do this instead of, I can, well, I can do this and you know, it only can take me 20 minutes. Yeah, It'll take me half a day to write the script. Ah, I can't justify that. Like, well, you probably can. Counterpoint, counterpoint, this is Crossfire. Right, like the old TV show. All right, uh, uh, point which, counterpoint. Which, which one of us is wearing a bow tie? Uh, not me. That guy was neither. Neither. Let's about, yeah, let's move on. I, I, I withdraw that comparison now that I remember who you're talking about. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, no, uh, I like every time. So do you know, you know Terrence Parr, the uh, um, antler? guy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he's a professor in out of stanford i think or berkeley one of those two here and um he wrote antler which is a uh like yak bison you know grammar tool chain for it's a great name it's a great name. yeah right um and it's for java it's a java parser generator uh tool chain right and uh and he he said well i could write a recursive descent parser myself manually Right. It's not hard to do. It's just tedious. Um, but he could he said, I, I spent 20 years automating what I could have done in two hours, you know, like, uh, <laughs> so he wrote, he wrote Antler and it's taken like 20 nice. years of his life. And it's just nice. been a, his whole thing, you know, has been this, this ridiculous uh, Sisyphus in mountain, you know, uh, and Boulder. And it's great. I, when I use it, I save a whole boatload right. of time, but I mean, somebody had to give up the time. And the other thing is I, I, I do. This is, I think a good architect is, is well, first of all, not me. Uh, like a good architect will say, okay, being realistic, you said it could take half an afternoon. Do you mean half a month? Like, right. like, like, like when was the last time? Because for me, 
I, I sometimes write that script. I'm like, it could be better. I, you know, uh, this is not, this is not nearly what I want it to be. So I've actually got like a whole pipeline and system and a web, web interface and everything for publishing my podcast. For example, I built a whole system and a tool chain for publishing books. Uh, you know, I built a whole tool chain and stuff for doing my old YouTube videos, you know, the old style before I started getting more involved in them. And, uh, you know, each one of these has taken months of my life. Uh, but you're right. It's better now. The process of stamping these things out is so much less. My, my blog, my This Week in Spring, there's a whole subsystem of, and again, each one, when I say system, I mean, each one of these takes up a Kubernetes cluster, right? They're real. They're not trivial scripts that you can just run in a cron job. They're real whole systems, you know? Real software, uh, baby. Yeah. But they all start off with like, I just want to scratch this itch and, uh, you know, automate the heck out of this. And I feel like Terrence Parr, I'm always like, I spent, you know, six months automating what I could do in 60 minutes, you know? That's, um, that's fair, Josh. But, but you know what? You also learned things while you were doing that, didn't you? I, somebody learned, they would, they learned not to trust me with writing software. I don't know something. I mean, like, maybe, maybe, I mean, that that's, that's how I got out of doing SQL, man. They, they let me do just enough SQL. They decided, uh, yeah, we're not, we're not going to let you do that anymore. That's not your thing, buddy. I'm like, that's cool. Cause yeah, yeah that just doesn't, that doesn't resonate in my little brain. Sorry. Sorry. I like, I mean, I don't know. I, do you like SQL? It's fine. It's fine. But see, I, I spent so much of my career basically just getting the data to the server. And then it was like somebody else's yeah. job to go deep store that thing. And so as far as I know, uh, it's just like squirrels stored in trees. I, I don't right. know. I thought SQL stands for like squirrel language or something. I don't know. Yep, yep. So that, that's kind of been my, my job is just, okay, here's the data. You guys do something with it. Right. You know, and, yep. and away we go. And I'm perfectly comfortable with that. You know, yeah. now I, I I made that comment actually. Jacob and I were were doing a, a spring for architects thing, and I said part of what I appreciate so much about picking on spring data is it would allow someone like me to actually be successful right. in that space where yeah, before yeah. not so much. You know, back in the day when we actually had to handwrite this stuff, that's when I realized that that my mind just does not quite resonate with with that way of thinking. Now I've got I have people I worked with who are brilliant at it. You know, I remember Mark, a guy I used to work with for many years. Mark was amazing at SQL. And I remember when Hibernate came out, yeah. he realized very quickly, like, oh, I can't beat Hibernate. There's nothing I can do better than Hibernate. Right. <laughs> it took him a while to realize that. Then he's like, nope, I just, uh, even if it looks weird to me, I got to trust that Hibernate knows what it's doing. And, and it I often does. Yeah, I'm with you. For the, for the 90% case, these tools are higher, higher level and they're better. And I used to think they would just be good enough for just about everything. Then I met um, Lucas Eder. You ever see this guy? Uh, Lucas Eder is a monster. He's a, a friendly monster, but he's a monster. He's, I think he's been on the show. I think I managed to trick him to be on the show, maybe. And if not, I should fix that. He's, he's, uh, he created Java OOQ, Java object-oriented query language. He does these talks, because the whole point is it's a type-safe DSL for writing SQL queries, right? right. So you get the benefits of SQL, but you also get control space ability in your IDE and it's, it's, and it lets you think about it, your code in terms of objects, but it's still, you're still dealing with SQL, it's just type safe methods and all that. And he does these, he's, oh, he's insane. He's done, he, he, did, he does these talks where he creates like these recursive fractals that get generated by SQL, you know, like flowers blooming and just insane in absolute insanity, you know, the, you don't even realize how powerful that language is until you see somebody right. in the hands of somebody who's truly gifted, you know? Uh, but for the rest of us, 
then yes, give me something like Hibernate. I'd rather, I know SQL pretty okay. I'm not, I thought I was pretty competent, but yeah, even me, I'd generate a, I'd trust a tool over my stuff. Right. But then you get the occasional person like Lucas. I'm like, well, yeah, that's fair. Let him do it. The, the, I, I felt it's the same situation with the Gmail. Do you remember GWT? Yes. Google Web Toolkit, right? Yes. Um, yes. And I it came it out. GWT. GWT. Yeah, yeah. Uh, GWT. Uh, and and uh, it came out. And I remember there was a whole thing. Well, okay, if it's so good, why isn't Gmail written right. in it? And actually, I quite liked it. The results were great. It was consistent. It was fast. So I'm not trying to be smirch or, 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 or you know, diminish its amazing work and contribution. Uh, but, but somebody from Google said, basically, look, we've got the best JavaScript engineers on the planet. They don't need Quit. It right. wasn't meant for the people who were writing Gmail in 2004, right? Before the rest of the world had discovered, discovered Ajax and the DOM, mm. the people from Google were like, yeah, here's Gmail. Right, uh, those people don't need. How quit. did they do that? Yeah, that that literally changed the world. Right, Google Maps and Gmail changed the world as we know it. Right, uh, Web 2.0 wouldn't have been possible, but, but you, for those two, you, even simpler than that. You, you yeah. remember the first time you started typing something into a Google search engine, yes. and it gave you a drop down autocomplete. I I remember working on a web app at that time, yeah. and my customer coming to me and basically being like, "I want that," and I'm me like, "Me <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. We can't do it. We we don't know how to do that. We do not. That's not just like, well, but Google has it. I'm like, yes, yeah. that's the chocolate factory. Yeah, yeah they have. A, I'm sorry. Like, and, and I tried multiple ways, and I it, and it took a while before we finally figured out. All right, here's how we can get something like that. But I had to tell my customer no for a lot longer than, oh, yeah. than they liked, and you know that that was definitely a oh oh. On the one hand, like oh, this is so cool. On the other hand. Oh, oh no, <laughs> my customers are going to see this and they're going to want me to do it. And then, yeah. G, you know, Gmail camp comes out, Google maps comes out and people are dragging things and you're like, oh, wait a minute, how is that happening? You know? And then again, you're like, this is so cool, but oh no, my customers are going to expect me to be yeah. able to do this. W T HTML. Um, no, actually now, there's I, a, I was at the time I theorized that GWT may have begun as a dare. That some very smart Google engineers are sitting around at lunch one day and somebody said, you know, I don't think there's any way you could get a static language like Java to uh, excrete out JavaScript. Like, <laughs> hold my latte. I'll be back later. <laughs> Did you, do you ever watch, uh, <laughs> you ever watch Robin Williams uh, live on Broadway? Yes. Uh, late, great Robin Williams. He has this whole bit where he, he, he supposes that the, uh, the, the the American fascination with drinking bottled water as opposed to just water right, that you got from right. the tap, which is perfectly demonstrably safe and fine for most places except, except for some very notable exceptions like Flint. Um, yeah. Uh, sadly, obviously it's tragic. Uh, uh, so he, he supposed, this is like 20 years ago, this is before we knew about Flint, but he, he supposed that it had to happen that somewhere in France, there was a, somebody standing by one of these waterfalls going, Oh, Pierre, uh, I think we could trick the Americans to drinking bottled water. And it's like, no, they are not that stupid. And like, oh, yeah, you know, like, um, let's try. Let's just try. Yeah, something like this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I maybe I always, and then if you think about it, that's a good question, actually. That's a good question to pose 
before you indulge in any technology, like ask yourself, do you think this is a dare? Right. Do you think this is like a, a, a just a, for, for uh, you know, for, for to take the piss, you know, like, uh, and, I, and, and a lot of things make a lot of sense when you consider it in that light. PHP starts to make a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Huh. See, it's I, I I think that happens more often in our industry than we care to admit, Josh. Someone's I, I I've seen this with cars too. I, I think there's there's a couple models of car that if you look at them, they're not particularly attractive looking vehicles. And, yeah. and every time I see them, I'm like, God, that is just that, that's like a literal box on wheels. You know, I mean, most yeah. car companies. They employ lots of very smart, talented, artistic people to create these beautiful flowing lines. And, and, and yeah. you know, I mean, plenty of cars are gorgeous to look at. And then I think, you know what? I bet this is a dare. I bet this is a, hey, I bet if we put a big enough price tag on it, <laughs> we'll buy it. No way, man. All right, put a hundred bucks on it. Let's go. You know, and, yeah, and it yeah. becomes a thing. And I'm like, all right, you're right. Here you go. Here's your hundred bucks. You know, away we go. That's true. Do you, ever, do you remember that? Remember the Chevy Aztec though? Yeah, yeah. Breaking Bad was on Breaking yeah, Bad. Yeah, Breaking Bad. I was gonna say they they drove it in that car. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't. I thought that thing was like hideous. But then mm -hmm. I watched uh, Doug DeMiro. I don't know if you were watching him on YouTube. He's a car vlogger fella. He's okay. funny. He's he's just great. He's like a he's like us. He's a car. He's a we're software philosophers. You know, like he's a he's a car philosopher or whatever. He just loves cars. Doesn't matter what shape, size, or stripe, you know, just, he just wants to be around them, learn it, touch them, drive them. Just things are amazing. They're an amazing yeah. extension of humanity's brilliance, you know, or possibilities. And, uh, and he's just delighted by them. Right. So he, he reviews every car. It doesn't matter if it's the latest and greatest from the latest typed uh, automaker or the most decadent or whatever. Like he drove a, an old Hugo, for example, right? Like, sure. you know, uh, like he'll, he'll drive old cars or drive new, it doesn't matter. He just loves cars and he's always good. He he's not uh, he's not a cynic. He doesn't go into it looking for a reason to trash it. Sure, he wants to love it. He really wants to love every car he drives. And so, on the rare occasion, he comes out with something less than a glowing, if you've you know, uh, 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 euphoric sort of uh, recommendation for something. It, it means something because it right. it's the exception, not the rule, right? And. Um, so he drove the he drove the Aztec, and I I already had that prejudged, yeah. terrible perception of it because it's such a hideous car and it doesn't yeah. look particularly. Turns out that car was like, if you knew what you wanted it for, sure. like it wasn't just meant it wasn't meant to be the car you drove on the road to go to your your Starbucks. It was meant to be. It has a, a whole tent, right? You know, there's an extension tent that comes yes. out of the back that you can yes. plug into the ground, and there's seats, yep. and there's like. It was a full log cabin. You know, it was an Airbnb, basically. Right. I mean, this little car did everything. It was a magic piece of car. And I was like, I could, nowadays, you'd have to go buy a, an RV or something, you know? And right. I, why? Just get a new, get an Aztec. That thing was so magic. I, I don't know. I, uh, you're right, though. Smooth lines, nice cars. Sometimes people are, sometimes these cars look like dares, but sometimes. We just don't know it what. Fit to purpose. I, mean, I think that's yes. really what you're driving at, Josh. Fit to purpose. And Driving. something. Driving, sure. driving, because we're talking about cars, right? See, you know, I, I think, uh, I mean, it's it's amazing when when it when plan comes together. You think about a lot. I mean, this gets back into what we were talking about with software, and part of what I I try to impart in a lot of my talks, and certainly with my yeah. grad students, is that all of these things are just tools. Yeah, you know, and and I, I get I get kind of annoyed when when people start standing on a soapbox about 
this language or this technology or this database is the greatest thing hey, ever and it's the I one solution seen. to every problem well but but my point josh is that it, it's understanding where something is the right tool okay yeah you right. know and and so the the analogy that i've been kind of locking onto is is like let's say you know you, you were working construction and and the first day on the job your task was go tear down that wall and so they handed you a sledgehammer and you went and you tore down that wall and you're like oh my god sledgehammers are amazing tools <laughs> they told me to tear down this wall and i tore down this wall in an afternoon and boy that was satisfying yeah and then the next day you come on the site and it's like hey we need you to do some framing and you're like, great, I got my sledgehammer. And you're like, whoa, 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 no, no, Josh, Josh, I know you like the sledgehammer and you had a lot of fun yesterday, but that's not the right tool for today's job. And that's what I'm driving at is, is I've seen so many developers throughout my career who just get locked in on like that first hammer, not yeah. realizing, well, it's fit to purpose. And the other way I see that used and abused is I need to use this on this project. Yeah. Why? Well, because I need to use this on this project. And, and you, you know, and this is part of my job as an architect for so many years was to say no in a gentle way, sometimes not gentle, as to know you can't just bring in anything under the sun. We have to think about it a little bit. We have to see how that fits in our existing tool chest. You know, you can't have the answer to every question be everything. That's yeah. just overwhelming to a development team. There have to be some guardrails, some guideposts, whatever you want to call it, in place. And, and so it's I think our job as, as people who've been doing this for a while to try to help younger developers, people who are newer to this space, understand those trade-offs and understand that resume-driven design is a very bad idea and that you yeah. should under, you know, you need to think through those trade-offs and well, would Rust be a good addition for us? Maybe, maybe Probably. not, but, but let's have the conversation and let's at least do it with our eyes open and understanding those, those, the cons and the pros. I mean, we're really good at the pros. We're, yeah. you know, as developers, we're awesome at that. You know, we're super good at coming up with those reasons. We're less good at, at, at being more critical and stepping back and going, well, you know, maybe this isn't, you know, the right choice for us at this moment in time. You know, yes, I guess we could write this entire app in, you know, let's pick on PHP a little bit, but maybe that isn't the best choice okay. in this instance. I, yeah. Um, the, the, the people aspect is a, like, a, a, so, okay. If you're a, a brand new novice, inexperienced and uh, misguided developer, then I, I think, I, okay. I, I don't know what the hierarchy is. I don't know what, I don't know what, uh, I think the, the most senior or most qualified, let's try, let's try qualified. Maybe it's not a function of time. Maybe it's just a function of wisdom and you can get that. Some people get it a lot faster than others, but the most qualified person for the job will consider the context in which the people working on the technology operate. And I think on the other end of the spectrum, you've got these types who will just first, I mean, the, you mentioned, you know, resume driven development, which implies, I think to my mind, that implies just wanting to pull in the latest fads Right. But yep. even worse than that is the people that want to roll their own. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's a great yeah, point. Yeah. That's, a, that's a special sub variant of RDD. Yeah. 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 So like there's a it's a it's a continuum. If you're if your first instinct is I'm just going to write my own ignorant and oblivious to all the far more specialized, far more uh, in developed and thought through uh, alternatives. Well, you know, I'm not sure you, uh, you should be on the particular on this on this on this team right now. You know, we don't need that. Right. 
Um, and then same thing for resume-driven development. And, you know, we've all been there. We've always want all, I think we've all, at least me, I've always wanted to play with the new stuff. But yeah, you've got to like, of course. Do we have time to switch horses midstream and rewrite everything? No, probably not. Right, right. Will it improve morale if we did that? No, definitely not. You know, like, will we ship on time for our customer? No, no, no. no. That's not true no. either, right? Um, well, my, my friend yeah. Neil has a great quote on that. He says, meta work is more interesting than work. And Truth. so we've all been in that situation where it's like, oh, okay, today I get to put a new field on this form. Hmm. Or, or I could build a framework yeah. for putting fields on forms. Well, now that's a problem I can sink my teeth into. That's a right. problem worthy of my talent. Let's roll, baby. And right. bad things happen on the outcome of that. You know, and, 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 and of course, I, I always need to caveat, there, there are exceptions to all of these rules. You know, yeah. there, there are times where it's like, actually, no, that engineer probably is qualified and they do have the right reasons for, for building this, this more, yeah. more bespoke thing. But that should never be our first instinct, in my opinion. You know, yeah, yeah. The way lies exactly. madness. Uh, try and not write it yourself, you know. And, and, and maybe it even takes a little bit longer, but the, if it's just a pure function of time to market, then you're probably better off using something else. But even if you don't know if there's something else, you're probably better off because even if it delays your timeline a little bit, uh, you'll now have something that, you know, you've avoided the bus factor, right? Like, right. It, if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, that thing will live on in the competent, capable hands of other engineers who already know this market uh, thing, as opposed to the thing you wrote uh, on a lark one evening in your in your bedroom. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, that's yeah that that that's the mark of an architect for me is that bigger context that has more to do with just the technology decisions. It's more than just those technology decisions. It's right. You know, would would you say you're a would you say architects? have anything to do with happiness with morale i hope so right i, I mean I, I hope part of our job is to to help teams be working on the things they really care about and and things that so they don't have to deal with some of these more dial tone like issues yeah you know i i want my developers to be able to to free them up to focus on solving the business problems that are already plenty challenging in our industry. And how do we translate that into whatever language framework database we're using? Uh, But then there's that next step of, okay, well, how do we, I mean, it's really hard to thread that needle of, we don't want there to be infinity choices. That way lies madness. But I don't want to be so restrictive that I've removed your ability to to innovate right? right and and so how do we square that circle and and it and it is it is hard there's no getting around it you know and that's part of our challenge i think is being able to recognize oh this new thing actually is worth our time and attention and so part of any senior engineer's job as far as i'm concerned is to spend at least part of their time being aware of where the industry is going, you know, and, yeah. and that does, you know, and I'm not suggesting that people need to spend 80 hours a week, you know, banging on keyboards. You got to have work-life balance. You got to do things away from screens, you know, please, yes. some part of the day, please get some sleep, you know, get some exercise. It's better for everybody to do. Right. It. It's, it's, it's better for you, better for your family, better for your friends. It's just better, better for the for company. Yeah. yeah. yeah the company will make more money if you're well-rested and healthy. Right. Instead yeah. of burned out and crispy and, and away you yeah. go. So you have to understand the trends. You have to understand kind of where things are going, but you need to be critical enough to look at it and say, oh, 
okay, yeah, this technology, yeah, this is like that thing we tried three years ago. And three years ago, it was an utter failure. And maybe things have changed. Maybe the reason it failed three years ago has been resolved. We fixed that, or we, we mm-hmm. learned from that mistake. Maybe it hasn't. You know, the advantage that you have with experience in this industry is you start to see the cycle repeat itself. And you start, I mean, that, that's so common in our industry. We kind of keep reinventing the wheel and then we rename it and pretend no one's ever done anything like this ever before, except we have. And right. we've hopefully gotten better at it. We've, you know, better abstractions, things are, are easier to use, simpler. But you have to have that perspective to be able to look at it and critically look at it and say, uh, you know, this isn't ready for prime time yet. Right. I'm not, I'm not ready to risk my billion dollar plus business on that was maintained by, I'm sorry, one, one developer where, yeah. and what happens if that person gets bored and moves on or worse? Yeah. You know, so that's part of what happens. I think with, with being in this industry for, for some period of time, I don't want to put a specific number on it, you know, but you have that experience and you see these patterns, you know, repeat and you can start to look at it more critically to go, Oh, Okay, you know what? We finally fixed that problem. Cool. Yeah. Now it's ready for prime time. And being able to address the things that, well, yeah, that might give you some lift here, but it's going to hurt us over here. It's going to make it harder for us to do this, can make us harder to recruit or harder to, you know, maintain or whatever, whatever. I mean, all of these things are trade-offs. You know, I mean, I, I think that's one of those, those like a gut check moment for you as a software engineer when you finally realize there's no objective best way of doing this. Right. It's, it's, it's all just least worst. And, <laughs> and, and that may hurt for a while. Cause you know, I, I think a lot of us get into this and we think, well, I mean, yeah, there's gotta be, there's a way I can get an A on this project. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just, we're, we're all kind of just slapping stuff together with bailing, bailing twine and, and duct tape and, and fingers crossed, you know, hope it works, hope it compiles. And, and, you know, we beat ourselves up over that sometimes, but at the end of the day, there's no best here. No. Yeah. So you have to then be able to recognize how that plays out in the choices we make. And am I painting myself into a corner? Is this going to be something that comes back to bite us in a couple months, six months? And, you know, we're notoriously bad at predicting the future. But, you know, you do this long enough, you start to understand, oh, yeah, no, I need a little bit of flexibility right there. I'm going to need optionality there. You know, I'm going to go on a limb and say that like you or like me, you probably bring a, a rain jacket with you in your bag when you travel, right? You know, and I don't know <laughs> if it's going to rain next week, but you know what? It doesn't take up a lot of room in my bag. So I'm going to put the jacket in there just right. in case. I carry an umbrella. That's for sure. Carry an umbrella yeah. and a nice weatherproof jacket. Um, okay. So going back to our, let's take this all the way back home. Uh I asked you about 2014 and uh, to me, that's sort of, Contemporary, contemporaneous with the rise of Docker and uh, the rise of, and I, and I, I, to me, that time, and then Kubernetes is right around there as well, right? So that whole, that whole intersection, to me, that represented the rise, the availability of an abstraction that gave us enough guardrails that the product was portable, but not so much that we regretted the choice. Right. It felt like the first time where within a few lines of text file, I could move my app from one place to another and keep it pristine and keep it like it is. Um, and, I, and I think that's an architecture win, right? That's a win for, totally. I want to be able to move this workload from 
local desktop to cloud, you know, uh, and uh, I want to know that what I do here looks the same and works the same as, it, as right. what's going on over there. Right. What are, are there other, if I'm right, if, you know, first you can reject the premise, but if I'm right, are there other things that you've seen or are seeing uh, come to, uh, come to, to be that, that offer similar force multipliers, right? Um, what's your architect's perspective on this kind of stuff? Yeah, that's a great point. Having those new abstractions removed some variables from the equation. And, yeah. and that's a huge, huge win for us. That gave us a lot more reliability and more importantly, repeatability. You know, yes. So I think every developer of, of a certain era has had that experience of, well, it works on my box or it worked in this region and we have no idea why it didn't work in this other region. And you just <laughs> put your head against the wall for a day or a week right. trying to figure it out. And, and so I, I think we have finally started to kind of graduate to this point of it's not worth diving into the details on some of these things. Just reboot it or just wipe it away and start over. And I know that's unsatisfying. I mean, every one of us has had that expect. This happened to Jakob and I a couple of weeks ago. We're, we're presenting and we're swapping back and forth on laptops. And I plug, he plugs in his laptop and it just, the, present, the, the screen's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Projector just decided it didn't, this is, didn't want to recognize this. Why would you ask? And, and so he rebooted and then it worked. And, and I, I can't tell you why. Jakob can't tell you why. I mean, we, we could spend a day trying to figure that out. Or we just say, eh, it works now. And, and yeah, so I, I think it's it's knowing where we should be spending our time and energy and effort. Yeah, we have a limited amount of it. So where do we want to actually expend that? Where do our customers want us to actually spend that? Yeah. And it's probably not diving down into some dial tony issue of well, oh, this patch level is a little different, or oh, this was compiled by you know this computer instead. Who cares? Like right. it just needs to work. And so having those coarser grain abstractions is huge. Yeah. We're going to see more of those. You know, I mean, that, that has been the, the, the path we've seen in software from the very beginning. You yeah. know, you go back to the early days and it's like, well, step one, Nate and Josh have to build a computer, you know, so let's go get the circuits and let's wire it together. And then, oh, if I flip this switch and you flip that switch, you know, and, and we don't do that anymore. You know, for a while it was, you got to write it in basically zeros and ones. We don't do that anymore. Well, I got to use machine language. We, don't do, we just keep building abstractions. So they're going to get coarser and coarser. And I think that's going to be a huge win for us because it will, again, allow us to focus on the things we're actually writing the software for. What yeah. are the problems we're trying to solve? And that's, that's a massive win for us. It, it'll make us more productive. It'll make us happier because you're not dealing with, oh, God, I got to reach under here and make these two things connect. Like, no, no, it, that just works. That's, that's dial tone. Yeah, dial I tone. can focus on things that my customers care about. Okay. You know, I, you didn't give me a specific list, but you gave me something better, a rubric by which to find my own list. No, I appreciate that, actually. It's, again, a good architect will elevate it beyond uh, the... Because again, suppose you'd give me like two specific things, middle of 2022, but to somebody listening to this in 2023, who cares? That answer, those lists, right. that list is going to be irrelevant. I like what I like your answer see, so much see, more Josh, than the answer. This is the beauty of our job, though, is is to take the question we were given and answer <laughs> the question we want to answer. Oh, I see what you did there. I oh. Uh, I'm not worthy. No, we're just going to see more and more of that, Josh. And, and I think that's very exciting. I really do. And, and yeah, I, I sure think do. that 
everything we can do to free ourselves up to just focus on solving those business problems, writing code. You know, I, I know Cote has shared that, that survey of how much time do developers actually spend writing code, and it is a saddening amount of time. <laughs> you know, and and I don't think I don't I don't know any developer who, given the choice between would you like to spend the next hour writing code or going to a meeting is going to take the meeting. We would much rather be at our keyboards doing software, writing software, building software, solving people. Doing the thing you pay us for. Exactly, exactly. And and so as these abstractions continue to get better and better and better, I think that's just going to enable us to do more of that and focus even less of our time on that. I mean, Josh, think about how much time, you know, you and I've probably spent setting up CI servers. Okay. And and all the different tool chains that we were building bespoke for every project. And, and then, well, hey, Jenkins actually solves a lot of these problems for us. Oh, boom, yeah. problem solved. And then I mean, oh, wow, Git, GitHub just baked this into my source code management tool. Right. Jeez. Oh, you know, so I think we're just going to keep seeing that acceleration. And to me, I think that's a huge, huge win. Yeah, as do I. I that That's a great way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't, um, I don't think doctors spend a lot of time like creating their own scalpels anymore, right? No, fingers crossed. Yeah, that's not great. I, or nor do they spend a lot of time like, uh, you know, revisiting first principles of like human anatomy because they can assume right. that it's a well understood thing. We can move on, you know. Right. Uh, right. Uh, um, no, no more. It hasn't uh, changed. No more excavating corpses to do dissections and right, right. Contravention of the local uh, authorities. Uh, in the dead of night to understand anatomy like uh, Da Vinci did. Yep. Um, well, on that bombshell, uh, where are you on the internet? Do you want to be found? And uh, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm on the Twitter. So NT Shuta on Twitter, S-C-H-U-T-T-A. Uh, I have a hopelessly outdated website, which is also ntshuta.io, uh, although lots of dot things will eventually resolve to that. I suppose one of these days I should update it. You know, I, I kind of stopped during the pandemic because I'm like, well, I'm not going anywhere. So what's the point of having a website that tells you where I am when it's just, I'm going to be somewhere on the internet? Like, eh. yeah, yeah, just find me there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's generally where that resolves to, but, but yeah, no, I, I, I mostly I've decided Twitter is the best place to be exchanging, um, you know, memes with people. So You've got a, one, of, one of the most popular eBooks, um, what yeah, in, in our, our pivotal slash VMware world, my, my thinking architecturally is continues to do quite well, which I'm very pleased with. My wife calls it a pamphlet, which well, I'm like, no, honey, it's a report. And and actually I do have like paper copies sitting behind me as I as I reflect yeah. on that next to Mark's book back there. So I just yeah, gotta get a copy it, of your book back there. Why don't I have a copy of your book back there? Well, that's that's bad on me. Use it to prop up a table, maybe or something. That's fine. Well, I mean <laughs> you know. it is a little a little faulty that leg. I call that that pamphlet a, a truth bomb. It's like a, you. you know, it's just awesomeness. It's just it's dense, nutrient dense knowledge, uh, and it's and you can't beat the price, right? What is the price? No, it's free. It's free. Yeah, it's free. So you know, go grab it from us. Thinking architecturally, just Google that and maybe the word Nate and A T E, and uh, and enjoy. It's a, it's a, it is a quick read, it is. but it's a long time to study. Yeah, it's a it's a quick read, but it takes a long time to ingest and digest everything you've read. Um, so bring some paper. Uh, yeah, and down, download it because then I think that eventually makes makes our our, our corporate uh, overlords happy because they they see that we have impact or something. I don't know. So, <laughs> well, have you thought about it? Yeah, downloads are good. Downloads are good. Yeah, 
Um, anything else you want to leave our, any other pearls, my friend? Well, come see us in person. We're back on the road again, which is yeah. both a blessing and a curse. I, I forgot how much time we actually spent moving from place to place. And, it is. And just what painful. an impact that has on our lifestyle. I forgot about that for two years. And then now you're like, oh, 20 hours to get to that place in Europe. Sure, that sounds great. And you're like, oh, just my for God, one hour of work. For, yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Basically. Wow. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, that's, that's probably fine. Um, but it's so good to be in front of live audiences again, Josh. I miss oh, yeah. that desperately. You and I missed our Harbingers of Doom photos. Me too. Uh, Me too. <laughs> like whenever you and I bump into each other in whatever corner of the planet we happen to be, there's well, I mean, always just a that, selfie. That, whatever the 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 powers of the metaverse that pull us into the same place you know whatever whatever you know uh timeline that happens to be on it's usually a, a scary thought that that based on our, our two schedules if we're in the same same physical location yeah you know, something has either gone horribly right or terribly wrong i was and, gonna say you've made terrible life choices if you're near me <laughs> uh, poor bastard you know it, it's funny josh i remember when when i first joined the team. I remember talking to our, our, our former manager, Andrew, uh, the yeah. Andrew Clay Schaefer. I said, you know, I don't envy Josh's schedule. Oh, <laughs> and he just said, Oh no, 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 that's, that's not, that's not the norm. That's not expected. <laughs> that was <laughs> like, Oh, thank God. Although to be fair, a couple of years, I, I came awfully close and, and I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I did live to regret it. And, you know, hoping things. Actually, the last two weeks have been very nice. I've been home. It's been it's been quite refreshing. I was gonna say. I mean, I'm exhausted, and all. I've only done. I was I was telling somebody else earlier. I I've done four countries since March of 2020, uh, right? Yeah. And all four of those have been in the last two months, which right. would have been a four day thing for me. Right. Before the pandemic, I, I mean, I've I've literally done five countries in five days before. This is yes. And but I did four countries in like two months, and I'm exhausted. Yeah, I'm exhausted. I yeah. just, uh, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not eager to get back on that, but I, I just like to sit here and, yeah, have my own bed for a little bit. You know, I, gosh, it, no, it I really know what you mean. Into the Google times, I did, I did France for a day, and you're like, yeah. what was I doing there? And I, I am curious to see. You know, I, I'm, I'm very much of the opinion that the pandemic caused a lot of people to reassess. And yes. you know, you saw that in people that moved or changed jobs or or picked up new hobbies. You know, and I think on the other side of this, you know, despite some employers' attempts to say, no, everybody's got to come back in the office, that ship has sailed as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, and I think it's silly because, you know, we we spent two plus years proving that for a huge number of jobs, this works. This works yeah. really well. And people enjoy having that control over their life and, and, and the time back. You know, I do not miss commuting into an office. I did that for... I don't know, 17 years, something like that. And, yeah. and I traded in that micro dose of commute stress every morning and every afternoon for the macro doses that you and I experience of, oh, well, my flight just got canceled. I would much rather have the macro dose than on that your own micro schedule. every single day. Yeah. And I think do. a lot of people now reflect back on that and go, I don't, I don't want to have a commute. I certainly am not going to do it every day. You know, no. it's just not productive time. And why would they want us to? We're softer people. I mean, I'm not saying right. that this is universally true, but if you're a softer person, uh, by definition, you you can work with computers to do the things you do on the internet. I mean, right. there's no such right. thing today as software without the internet. And and so, I, and I don't find the the particular, um, I don't think that argument that you need to be in the same office, because like the spring team is all geographically distributed. We've always been geographically distributed. When, we, when the pandemic hit, it was terrible for all sorts of reasons, but 
right uh that's our team that little spring team was and and actually your team and mine the one we were on the, the right. advocacy team we didn't skip a beat it was just we were we already had the infrastructure and the mechanisms in place to do everything we had done yep. because there's no like advocacy headquarters there's no place that you and i and everybody else on the team can come sure, and yeah. Just, yeah yeah it, it's not a thing it's never been a thing i don't even know i, I don't even i didn't even have a key you know we uh, i no. i got a badge when when we were in london i got a badge finally because oh, I, I wanted to be able to get in and out of our office more easily. And so I, I had them make me up a badge. And the, the wonderful people at the front desk took exceptionally good care of me and made that all happen. And it was it's just printed out and waiting for me. Lovely, so, but also unnecessary. Yeah. Since right. you don't live in London. Well, and and well, but I think I think in theory that badge would work anywhere. But the oh, oh that's true. I, when before oh, sorry, carry on. I think back to to my my previous my previous company and my team was already in multiple locations yeah and i for years years literally my meetings were at my desk i never yeah. went to a meeting room yeah because i'm having meetings with people who are in different states different countries uh, there's no point in me leaving my desk taking my laptop right going to another room to sit in that room by myself Right. To be on a phone call with people who are in another room, I, it, I might as well be at my desk. And so, you know, we didn't have an official like work from home kind of thing, although I sort of fell into working from home like Wednesdays. And, and that worked out exceptionally for me because I would walk down my stairs, I would open my laptop and I would start working at the normal time I got up. Yeah. And then I wouldn't close my laptop until my wife said, hey, it's time for dinner. And so I'm working a lot more hours and it's, <laughs> you know, more productive. And, I think that, and I'm more productive because I don't, you know, I'm not having to deal with commute stress and everything else. And then and distractions, and you know, right. And, and I, I think it's, it's been a real, it's been a forcing function to, to take a lot of these organizations that were stuck to the, well, that's how we've always done it and realize, uh, actually we can do this and be very productive and very successful and I, yeah. I think the people who are pushing back are, you know, my opinion, dinosaurs who come from an old era where, but, 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 but I have this office space. There's also this other perspective. I mean, I, I, there's some people who are, I don't know, I, there's, there's this, uh, maybe, maybe there's a gradient, you know, maybe there's some of these people that say you need to be in the office. Is it possible they're talking about a lower, um, less responsible grade of engineer you know like i is it i don't maybe it maybe. is possible i don't know if i don't i don't think i've ever needed to be task managed in quite so micromanaging a way but maybe it's the case that some people do maybe i just didn't realize maybe. that i knew that i don't know but certainly for people of our experience i mean i would it's been 12 years since somebody told me right i needed to be in an office and i uh, yeah I, what you know i no thanks oh nobody nobody at my company would tell me i said i mean not yet. No, nobody, nobody would tell me I'm not pulling my weight, you know, uh, certainly. And, and it's certainly never been a function of my ability to keep time at an office. I, uh, it's just right. so weird. Maybe it's like, I don't know. I'm not trying to say it's universally a bad idea to go back to the office. No, no. Let's, and, and let's accept that there are some people for whom it's just fine to stay some home. Some people it's, it's enjoyable. Like I actually had this conversation with a friend of ours the other day. She's very extroverted. And she really likes being in the office. I think she said she's in the office three days a week now. So she's home Mondays and Fridays in the office, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. Now, in fairness, uh, she works in HR 
and the people like the teams she's responsible for, well, they are in the office. She said plenty of her peers, well, their teams aren't. And so it makes no sense for them to be yeah. sitting in an office when all their team is somewhere else, you know? And, and so I, I think, yeah, there, there definitely are situations where, where there is advantage to that. And there's nothing, there is something to be said for having that team offsite periodically, getting together as a team, doing yes. some bonding, working together on something, setting the pattern for the next quarter, whatever. But that doesn't need to be five days a week, Monday through Friday, you know, 52 weeks a year. And I think we're finally realizing there are alternatives to the way we've always done it. And that's, I think, an important shift. Nice. Now, yeah. And, and I think it's, it's good for people to realize that and, and that, that we don't all have to fit into this one size fits all cookie cutter kind of thing. Now, that is going to have some interesting impacts that I don't think I'm certainly not qualified to predict in terms of, well, what do we do with this extra office space that's not being used? What do we do with a lot of these cities that have grown up around the idea that thousands of people come in in the mornings and then leave in the afternoons, and now they're yeah. not doing that? So a lot of businesses that relied on you coming in with your dry cleaning, you coming in and getting lifeblood, you coming... Now what happens when that's not there? Now, uh, I would argue that that just disperses it. You know, so I think yeah. about the restaurants around my house that clearly got a lot more business during the day than they would have normally when, you know, my little bedroom community would have all, you know, moved into the cities as opposed to, to being out here in the birds. So I, I don't think we should look at that and say, well, we have to go back to the way we were doing it because that's how we always yeah. did it. And, and I really hate this attitude I've seen from a few executives around, well, you can, you're pretending to work at home. Oh, there's the somebody only that way. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. You know exactly yeah. who I'm talking about, but yeah, this notion that the only way I can be trusted to do my job I is I'm physically in the office. Okay. If that's the case, why am I hired? I, if yes. you hate me that much, then why am I here? You know? Well, that's a managerial issue. So yeah. if, if I'm literally at home, not doing my job and yeah. the manager has not dealt with that, yeah. you have a manager problem. Yeah. That should be a corrective action kind of thing. And yeah. I will also point out that I've certainly seen this. I've done this myself. It's pretty easy to, um, you know, slack off in the office too. So this idea oh, yeah. that people are only doing work things in the office. Uh, no. How many times have you, have you had that hour long conversation with somebody in the hallway or, Hey, let's go get a cup of coffee and an hour later, you know, or, Hey, did you see the game last night? You know, and, yeah. and that's important. Stuff. Yeah. We but, literally have water cooler talk as a metaphor for, Yes. The conversation that has nothing to do with what you're supposed to be doing right. at the company right. water cooler. And Google don't keep water coolers at home. That's not a thing. That's an office And that's thing. important that's conversations to have. You yeah. know, it, you need to have a personal relationship with the people you're working with. But yeah. you can establish that in other ways. It doesn't have to be a nine to five in the same meat space, especially given that for the last 20 plus years in IT in particular, we yeah. have not been in the same meat space. So yeah. Why are you now telling me, oh, nope, got to come back in the office? Like, but no sense. most of the team isn't even in the same office to begin with. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, like that's been, yeah, exactly. It's been a direction of organizations to start moving some of this work to other locales where they can mm -hmm. take advantage of all sorts of things, tariffs and uh, local exchange rates and whatever. That's one thing. So that's just, yep. this is just a natural extension of a direction in which we were already going. And then second of yep. all, to your point earlier, which is, I think, super brilliant, uh, it's not that the money's disappeared. It's just that it's been distributed more evenly, right? Right. People are no longer, like I live in San Francisco. We are hit by the pandemic, right? In, in, insofar as 
there's a lot of software people here, right? Um, but a lot of them also lived elsewhere and they came into San Francisco and they also went into Silicon Valley. So a lot of that sort of uh, ebb and flow, a lot of that traffic is is gone and that's gonna negatively right. impact our business here. But it's not like these people don't need to eat suddenly. Right. The people that used to come here are still eating somewhere. And that's right. assuredly a good thing if that money is being more evenly distributed across all the neighborhoods, all the burbs, all these little uh, you know counties. It can't be bad. It's not like San Francisco is going to go broke or anything. We still have a ton of people here, right? It's still overcrowded. It's still very, very busy and loud and, and, and all that stuff. It's just not nearly the, um, not nearly to the same extent as it was two years ago, two and a half years ago, whatever. And uh, that's just fine. You know, like right. we'll endure. And now these other places might have a better shot. Right. Well, it, it'll just, it'll just shift. So, yeah. so you, you remember when toilet paper was impossible to come by. I mean, it was like oh. for a while there. And, and it wasn't that people suddenly started using more toilet paper. It's just that, well, there's retail toilet paper and there's commercial toilet paper. And all of a sudden we got a glut of this commercial stuff, but not enough retail. We have to shift what we're producing. So I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the actual amount of toilet paper used stayed consistent over the last right. couple of years. Um, it's just who bought it. And, right, your and company or your you, home. Yeah, so I think it's the same. It's not like people suddenly... Oh, I usually ate three times a day, but now I eat six or I used to eat three, but now I only eat once. I don't think that changed. It's just a matter no. of, well, I got some groceries and I made a sandwich at home instead of buying a sandwich out. I, you still spent that money just in a different place. And, Surely. and probably yeah. for the better, too. You know, you know, probably eating so much fast food, even more environmentally friendly, too, as a result of, you know, lack. Of there you go. So, OK, I think you and I are both on team, not the way it's always been. Yes. Uh, and uh, that's good. That's the team I'm going to root for in the next Super Bowl. High five, buddy. High Thank five. you for your time. This has been Thank great. You, my friend. It's a pleasure as always, buddy. Always. See you in uh, New York. I'm good, buddy. Thank you. Cheers. A Beautiful Podcast is produced by me, Josh Long. I do these podcasts because I believe that everything we do in software is for and made better by people. I want to hear from you. I'm Josh at joshlong.com by email or at S-T-A-R-B-U-X-M-A-N on Twitter, where, of course, my direct messages are wide open. Do you have guest ideas, topic suggestions, feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out. If you like the show, then please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review, uh, as it really helps the show. I sampled music from Steve Combs's Them from Morning and Springtime and Steve Combs's Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and, and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, and if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.